This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World, the enterprise data catalog for the modern data stack. We're coming to you live from Austin, Texas, as well as somewhere else you'll find out in a minute. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with a tasty beverage in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm principal scientist at Data.World. And Wednesday, middle of the week and towards the end of the day, and uh, it's time to talk data today. And I'm actually live from uh, Cali, Colombia. I think I've been almost every other week somewhere else in the world. And I'm just kind of really excited that I get to go travel back and stuff. Uh, today, I'm visiting, I'm visiting my parents who, who live here. Um, but anyways, let's talk about data. So today, we're talking about data mesh. Yes, data mesh, data mesh, the topic that always comes up. But today's episode is really special because we're not going to go do our just blah, blah, blah data mesh. We're going to go really talk about how this stuff is actually implemented, the journey of data mesh. And somebody who can really speak to this is a name that we've been seeing a lot. And I've been following him for a long time, have the opportunity to go talk a lot with him and learn so much. And this is Omar Kawaja, who's a global head of BI at Roche. Uh, he, a couple of weeks, a, a couple, one or two months ago, he gave this fantastic talk called the mind, body, heart, and soul, which is their data mesh implementation. Um, and I'm like, I, th th that's when I, when I saw that talk, I was like, I need to meet Omar and go talk to Omar more. And I'm just so happy that you were here part of our show today. Omar, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, Juan. Thank you so much for having me, Tim and Juan. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. And I know it's late. It's, uh, we do this live. It's 11 p.m. on your side. You're in Switzerland. Uh, so thank you for, so much for, for st sticking around here. And well, it's 11 p.m. I don't know. What are you drinking? What are you toasting for right now? Oh, uh, I'm a kind of a boring person. So I'm just having my Coke Zero to survive the remainder of the night. And uh, <laughs> that's it. And uh, the irony is I'm having in one of my short glasses collection that I have, which you may be seeing at the back of my uh, screen right now. So that's perfect. Well-themed. <laughs> no, no caffeine. You can go to bed after this. Appreciate that. Tim, how about you? Uh, I am drinking a little bit of tequila and topo. So very simple today. Um, so that's what I'm sipping on. Yeah. And I got a simple one too. I'm just having a nice good beer. This is a, a, Club Colombia, very classic beer here in Colombia. Just a really nice, crisp lager. And I want to cheers because, Omar, I'm finally going to meet you. And we've been talking yeah. for a long time. We're going to go to Snowflake Summit, and we will be there. You will be there. It's I'm toasting for more traveling and finally yeah. get to meet people. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to real life meeting people once again. Yeah. Well, our warm-up question following up on that is, like, hey, you'll be at the Snowflake Summit in Vegas next week. So will we. What's the best buffet food? Oh, man. Uh, I think something that you can eat a lot. <laughs> and uh, I am a big fan of eating French fries. Uh, that's the secret of my health. So I would love to go first. that. <laughs> Ooh. A French fry buffet. I, I have a, a long rant on why, not a rant, a little spiel on why I think French fries is one of the most amazing foods, but we'll, we'll keep that one for later. But awesome. how, about you? how about you, Tim? 
Honestly, I, I don't even know how to begin with this question. You know, like, hey, free food is free food. I'm, I'm happy with free food. I'll, I'll take some of that. What, what about you, Juan? Do you have a, 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 an important take on, on buffet food? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I go on two extremes. One is like, oh, there's so much. I want to go eat everything. And at some point, it's like, I'm just so overwhelmed that I know I'm going to eat too. I would eat too much and I'm going to gain weight. So I'm just going to go take a bunch of salad and some protein and not look at anything else. But uh, here, here's a, a funny, I don't know, something about I have never been to Vegas in my life. So this is oh, that I'm actually not looking forward to it. It's not on the top of my list. For all the travel you do, Juan, I'm so surprised. I, I well, there's another more interesting places to go visit. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, we'll see, anyways. But all right, that's enough intro banter. Let, 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 let's dive in. Omar, simple, honest, no BS. What the heck does a data mesh journey actually? <laughs> oh man, uh, it's a it's. Maybe others have experienced the same, but I'll I'll cut to the chase directly, right? So Jamak's article came in 2019. Uh, like me, many others read it as well. I read it. I ignored it completely. <laughs> and and my first reaction was, who is this person? What is she talking about? Because anybody in the space of data, BI, analytics, whichever words you are comfortable with, have done everything that she has described in the first part of the article and then have pointed out the challenges, the issues that everybody faced. And the first reaction is kind of an allergic reaction to that. <laughs> and I, I was in the same boat, no, no kidding. Uh, I read the article once again, it's a very long article. and. Uh, I remember back in 2020 when I joined where the company I, I'm working for right now at Roche, uh, I had the opportunity to decide what kind of path that we are going to take uh, for my area of responsibility. And this topic was quite hot in the community of architects and data practitioner within the companies and also at the time in industry. I read the article once again and I was like, okay, it, it does make sense, isn't it? We, we have done data lakes, we have done data warehouses even longer, and then we read all the articles of failures of data projects and initiatives, and hardly few percentage are succeeding. So what's the cost of that? And uh, it's uh, sometimes it's technology, sometimes it's people, sometimes it's data, sometimes it's processes. And I it occurred to me that, hmm, maybe this is the approach. Let's explore it. And it was the peak of the pandemic. Nobody was traveling. Uh, we had no vaccinations or other things inside. Even some tests were not uh, available in, in publicly. And guess what? Uh, I reached out to Jabak and said, hey, you have just turned my life upside down, your article, and care to speak and explain. <laughs> you want to catch up. And, and she's very kind. She said, yes, let's talk about that. Uh, we had three, four, five meetings, if I recall correctly. And in the middle of those meetings, her second article came up. That was just towards the end of 2020, which had more details. Okay, let's take the next step. What does it look like? Because the first one was quite high level. And that occurred to me, that clicked with me a lot. Uh, because the first step of the journey, one was the realization that it's insanity to do same things again and again and expect different results. And that's a quote from Einstein, and I love it. 
It's very powerful. And uh, as you might have seen in my talks, I was uh, uh, reading this book from uh, Adam Grant, uh, Think Again. And, and uh, shout out to anybody who wants to read it. Uh, by all means, go ahead. You will, you will explore a wonderful world of how to find new creative ideas, how to challenge the preconceived notions. And those two things just clicked together to me. And that was the beginning of our journey on how to go about take the first steps with data mesh. The realization that we want to do it. So, so th th this is really important. I, I think you, you read it initially, you ignored it. And I would ar argue that, that it, at that time, this is 2019, I think, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The first thing came out, 2019, this came out. Uh, and it was, the first article was really high level. I mean, I mean it was high, you know, high level, period. And you're like, yeah, this seems interesting, but I'm, I'm missing the meat. And then everybody kind of would start kind of just making stuff up on their own and things. Um, so, so it was like, what, one, almost one year? between kind of figuring out until you actually, that second article came out and, and you started getting the details? Uh, yes, uh, I would say yes. I think the article duration is almost one year. And uh, in the meantime, it was becoming a buzzword in the data community that there is something called data mesh and it was getting some attention, not to the level that we have right now, I guess, but yes. Uh, Yep. So um, we will we will share the article. I mean, uh, we will share the article in the comments here. But uh, you, you find the original article of Data Mesh goes back. I think it's May 2019 on the Martin yeah. Fowler uh, blog post about mm -hmm. this. Okay. So you had the realization. Did your colleagues? Did your group also have that realization? And 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 and, and what exactly is that realization? I mean, we were saying. Yeah, I mean, doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results. That's insanity. But it, is it more? Is it deeper than that, or was it just really that? No, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed to work with some very smart people uh, who are much smarter than I am, and they also had the same realization. I had very good support from my IT and business counterparts to explore the idea. It was not like uh, this is an idea and let's not pursue it. Not even not let's not even explore it. it I didn't face that kind of a challenge. But like any new paradigm shift, and that too of this mega scale, come to think about it, there was uh, no action on execution so far. So uh, I joined the company um, almost in the second half of 2020, but previously there have been initiatives to understand it. But uh, I think the difference that made was, let's take the steps to execute it now. Because without execution, Nothing will change, right? You have to, you have to take the steps. You have to take the risk. You uh, you have to be bold about those things. And without trying, you will never know uh, uh, whether that will uh, happen or not. Uh, especially considering that, if you think about the timings, now we have many companies coming forward with real implementation. Back then, there were hardly one or two companies who were speaking about any kind of implementation experience. And it was all theoretical, uh, and that was one of the, I guess, the challenging part about data mesh to many of the people even right now. Yeah, a lot of folks felt like this this feels right. It's talking to the right problems, but how, right? <laughs> how, how do we go about this, yeah. right? Um, and, and is it actually going to work, or is it just theory, right? Um, yeah. You know, 
Omar, what, what would you say is your definition for data mesh? How do you define it? Is it the same as Jamak or is it a little different? Oh, I kind of uh, stickler of the definitions that she has called. The reason, let's call apple an apple and not an orange and not a banana or not a watermelon because it's an apple. Uh, yeah. Simple as that, right? Uh, why dilute the essence of the idea of the initiative and then complain about the idea that, hey, it did not work. <laughs> so we, we have to stick to few things as much as we can. I, I must admit, I do complain about a lot of things, even to her, even on some forums. Like some of the definitions are really hardcore, so you need a translation in between. But essence should be exactly the same if, if, if required. And uh, I do stick with the definition. It's a paradigm shift. It's a socio-technical uh, uh, concept uh, or a way of doing it. I try to use, avoid using the word architecture because people jump to technology when they listen to the word architecture all the time. Uh, and uh, I definitely uh, condemn, <laughs> let's call it, people who say it's a technology initiative. It's not. It, technology play have a great role to play in it, no doubt about it, a very important role, but it does not start with technology at all. Uh, that's why I love it. It's uh, if you recall, uh, you know the, the uh, how when you look at how organizations become data driven or data informed, right? You have data, people, process, technology. This this paradigm touches all four of them, and that's the beauty of it. You you have to move the scale on each of those characteristics to make a difference if you want to make a difference. Uh, just introducing X tool or just changing the organization will have limited or uh, you know those kind of benefits that we already have seen with past uh, enterprise data lakes or enterprise data warehouse initiatives. And and by the way, uh, I must say this: they, they they were very good initiatives. They had delivered a lot of value in their times. But things have changed. Uh, the people have changed. Their skills have changed. Technologies have changed. Organizations are becoming more and more data and aware. They want to be more and more data informed. Uh, the, the world, the, the digitalization of things around us have changed. So those paradigms, those old concepts have to be changed as well. And that's why I like where it went. And uh, long answer to the definition question, Tim. Sorry about that. No, that's all right. It, I, I think I agree with you that like uh, this concept is early and it's formative. And I think that honestly, a lot of good thought has gone into what those four pillars are, what sort of the construct is. I know that uh, Jamak is actually doing a great job of working with you and many other leaders to really continue to test the ideas, kick the tires on it. Right. Um, and I think that's really important. And, you know, I think when you and everybody learns about, you know, talks about data mesh, learns about data mesh, it's clear that the socio part of this is very important uh, versus, you know, some of the previous big trends, like whether it's big data or AI or, um, you know, even data fabric, right? They've tended to start a little bit more from a technical sort of inspiration or concept, like, oh, we got to scale, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, 
people in process, you know, the socio side of this really plays into data mesh for you, especially at, uh, at Roche? Uh, yes, and uh, let's maybe the best way to address would be to look at the four principles because uh, three of them touches the social and the process part, right? So starting with that domain orientation, uh, people coming from software engineering, developing side of things, this is nothing new. You are designing applications using terminologies, using concepts, using processes which are associated with a particular domain. Now, people, I've seen people getting stuck on the domain definition on their journeys. Uh, uh, I might have done the same, but thanks to some of our colleagues who have done some amazing work in this area, a shout out to Daniel <laughs> over here. And uh, they, they overcome the challenge in setting a lot of groundwork around defining the domains and keeping the definition simple and also making it different from your organizational structure. So it's not your org chart necessarily, but I would encourage people, even if they go with that, because some organizations are defined like that, it's okay, just chill. <laughs> just go ahead with it. Don't stuck on the first step. It's not going to kill anything. Uh, and that's the first social part. There is no technology involved. You need to identify the right mindset business and IT leaders, if it's an enterprise shop, you need, if you are starting with this journey, you are looking for people who are uh, really the, the, the evangelists, the leaders, the thought leaders who will are willing to take a risk on such a big thing. Uh, you need people who are able to mobilize resources and find those right mindset, uh, right minded people who will join the team that shapes the second principle of data as a product and having the right product team in place. And one thing that describes that is that ownership. You need people who are saying, I will own the data in my domain. I will take full responsibility. I will make sure that I uh, fetch it from operational systems. I make it available for analytical use. I guarantee the quality. And this is the this is my quality metrics associated with it. And who's doing that? That team is doing that. It's no longer the centralized IT team or centralized business team or some other outsource vendor. It's that product team. And that ownership is the heart of this whole data mesh concept. That's why I called it in my previous talks that while you know data uh, as a product is the heart of this initiative. And while you are structuring it uh, around domains, that's like a soul of the whole thing. But your, if you don't have the data product team right, which is all social, and then the skills and capabilities will come in, it's not going to fly, right? And that's, that makes a difference. Uh, and even on the second principle and more social things, uh, like uh, many other organizations, People are very familiar with project-based setup, doing things, starting, throwing it to the operation side, then doing enhancements, updates to it. And that, again, will not cut or define a product team. You need long-lasting teams, the right size teams. And uh, out of my experience, I can tell you there is no 
fixed formula of what right size team is <laughs> depends on your use cases and your maturity uh, and the value that team is creating of course mm-hmm. and then that's all social uh, right it, there is nothing more to it right now it's all social and that product mindset it's very hard to find and tim i don't think i have to tell you you lead the team a product team i guess you know what i'm talking about and that product mindset makes a difference that ownership of treating as like your child your baby your you curate it you nurture it you you make sure that people use it and you are not protecting it you are not protecting it that oh don't touch it you cannot use it that's not happening right you are you are going in a very different uh, uh, model you are going with a very different psychology you are going with i want to create something that will be used again and again and again and that's also drive lot of value so far everything is social nothing tech- technological right and these are the two principles around it uh, yes uh, Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, this, this, this is awesome. I mean, we've 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 been already kind of ten minutes in this conversation, and we haven't even touched technology. And I love it. I love that we haven't talked 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 about technology yet. A, a, a couple of things I wanted to kind of bring up and, and and throw it back to you is, you said find the right IT leaders. Look for the leaders who are taking the risk, who will mobilize those resources. And I, I heard this uh, this joke. One of our, our colleagues, Stuart uh, Stuart Curver, he he's a super funny guy. One of my best, one of great friends. He he has this joke. He says, "You want to go? You think back in the '60s, people were standing up and down who want to go go to the moon?" He's like, "No, people wanted to go to the moon and become astronauts. They were freaking crazy." So. You need to go find those people who want to be astronauts, who want to go to the moon, and everybody's saying you're crazy. You're going to go to the moon, like, and those are the those are the folks who are going to really change the world right there. So I I I, I I'm a I'm really aligned with you. With this is and it's hard to go find those people, right? Because it's 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 because they need to have the product thinking. They need to be open to to, to the to to a change, right? They need to acknowledge that we're driving ourselves insane. Um, so th- 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 this is this is the cultural social aspect, right? No technology yeah. is needed at this moment about it. Nope. So, and, and and I love how you're saying we need to be practical about like identifying a domain, right? Don't don't get all kind of uh, uh, bogged up with your org chart. It has to be something like that. Just start with something. What is your recommendation to actually get started? Like, if if you realize that people are like getting stuck on step zero, like how do just just very tangibly, like what should you, what should somebody do immediately? So the two things are connected. Once you find your crazy person who's willing to take that leap of faith with you, you will see that that person, whether from business or IT or joints, right, is belong to some function or that one particular domain, and that's your starting point. You don't have to find twenty more domain teams. You don't have to define the. organization with all the leaders defined that's not going to happen you don't need it the uh, it it may not even work one come to think about it uh, imagine yourself starting a new initiative no idea what's going to happen next hardly any implementation available what if the entire organization is gung ho behind it and you don't know what to do it might turn into a failure that's the crazy part of it as well so it's good to start small take the first steps learn from it and then this model specifically you can go nuts on scalability literally and um, 
the, the, the fourth principle plays a key role in going nuts in a more organized fashion. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> you don't have to go nuts and destroy everything. But uh, and then comes a then come back the technology component because you will need technology to support a lot of things, no doubt about that. But it's not the first thing to consider. That's not the first thing. But once you get into execution, which comes um, two, three steps later, uh, you will need technology to do that. Uh, one. And uh, uh, the, the way we define it, uh, I remember talking to you in some of our previous conversations. We learned by working with, uh, uh, with ThoughtWorks. So big shout out to them. Uh, and. Uh, they taught a lot of things, and uh, I insisted to work with Jamar to know what she thinks about the concept. Uh, uh, how many times you get an opportunity to work with the creators, the inventors, uh, the people who have come up with the idea? How cool is that, right? You are sharing that amazing mindset thinking, and, and you are with them on this journey. That's an amazing feeling to have. And uh, we we learn from them and the first step as we call it is you explore whether it's going to fit your organization uh, which may be step zero minus one if your organization culture is no i want to do everything centrally there will be nothing happen decentralized manner may not be the best fit for data mesh it's it works because it's decentralized you have certain aspects centralized only in, in, in my definition and uh, if you have decided that yes, it's a fit, then you start with it. And we did what we call this accelerate workshop, which is all about bringing that the crazy bunch together. <laughs> and that crazy bunch is now coming to same understanding about data mesh, because just think about it. If we have just read the article, we have different views on how on what have we read, right? So. Uh, uh, I remember people asking and challenging, oh, in the data mesh world, you don't need any, any centralized BI analytics teams anymore. They don't exist. Every domain can create their own platform. Every product team will have their own platform. And uh, people come to challenge also, yeah, we are going with domains. We will create silos because it's domain oriented. There is no connectivity. There is no sharing. All of, all of those things are there. And how do you clarify that? You bring people on the same page with the people who have created the concept. Uh, you know, and I remember uh, inviting Shamar to speak to us. There was a huge gathering of almost 200 people who came to listen to uh, what she had to talk about. And we planned 90 minutes. <laughs> it went <laughs> for two hours <laughs> at least. We had to literally stop that. It's already overrun. Uh, but that's that makes the difference, right? You once you are start aligning your uh, what you want to deliver, what business outcomes, what value you are pursuing, then the team, though that crazy bunch, will eventually can decide. Hey, now we know what we have to do. Let's figure out how we will do it as a next step, and where the data products will fit in to enable those outcomes and who is going to be my user of those data products. You, you figure that out in a step-by-step -step manner as, a, as any product team does. Uh, uh, Tim, correct me, I'm, I'm not in your shoes, but don't you do discovery? Don't you talk to your consumers? Don't you discover those things? 
That's what you've got to do, right? Because yeah. I mean, I'm so happy that that product mindset is finally becoming something that we're talking about and thinking about um, in data. Because I feel like uh, you know, so many bad patterns have formed around the data. Whether it's like hoarding the data, whether it's you know the uh, the ivory towers around the data. Um, you know, more recently, sort of like the factory approach to data where everything is just a request come in and, you know, how can we process these story points as fast as possible, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I'm so glad we're finally thinking about like, you know, even from a product management standpoint, things like surface area, right? How do you manage the surface area of what you're doing here and which products are being used and which are not? And the things that are not, maybe they should go away, right? You should sunset them and you should keep the things that are working and expand them, right? So it's, and have a roadmap around them, right? It's, I, I'm so glad that we're, we're here now. So um, so that, I think that's a good thing. And, um, you know, just a, a quick note uh, from, from our, our, our sponsor. Um, this episode is, is brought to you by Data.World. Uh, it's the enterprise data catalog for the modern data stack. Data.World makes data discovery, governance, and analysis easy, turning data workers into knowledge superheroes. So thank you, Data.World, for, for letting us do this. Um, and and uh, next question for you, I think this really kind of leads to, you, you've talked about these different pillars. You've talked about the value of sort of data as a product, about domain-driven. Uh, um, federated governance, that's one that I think can be confusing to folks because they're not as familiar with governance. They're like, oh, yeah, treat your data like a product. That makes sense. And then they're like, federated computational governance. What? Um, what, what do you think about that? What does that mean to you? So I was about to correct you. You missed the computational part. <laughs> <laughs> you are very good at being accurate on this. So I, I agree on that. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I'm telling you this because I missed it, it so many times. And I asked this question so many times. And now people can read it in the book that is out. And also watch it on the companion uh, episodes on YouTube. It's, I highly recommend you to do that if you are like me who read books as well as love to waste time on YouTube or learn from it. <laughs> I, I would love to, to do that. But the way I've understood is that it's no longer one team who's governing things anymore from the process point of view, which means that uh, let's take the example of uh, some governments that we have, right? And maybe it comes naturally to me that I've been living here in Switzerland now for almost 10 years. It's a federation. It's not like one party controls everything. And that's the concept over there. And that federation governance is deciding on certain aspects. For example, agreeing on that these are the minimum things that a data product should deliver. We have heard the term fair, findable, accessible, interoperable, reusable so many times. Uh, Juan, I think you released your ABCDE checklist, which is also very nice. We have similar checklist as well. And in the book, you will see six or seven characteristics of data as a product. You can map them all together. They have nice overlaps, nothing conflicting between all the three things. And that could be the agreement or of that federation governance from the process point of view. Now the computational part comes in. How are you going to enforce that? Are you going to leave everybody to manually publish things on the famous catalog? And you know we are on a catalog show, so we have to talk about that uh, a lot. 
And I imagine that that's the only way to do it. You don't have any automation in place and you have a nice data product which has some nice data sets in it for the sake of simplicity. Would anybody use a catalog if you have to manually maintain it? Not gonna happen. People will do it once, it will become a dead, disconnected, uh, dusty catalog and nobody using it. Uh, talk about the uh, interoperability or the uh, accessibility part or traceability that you can trace how that data product is created because we still are bringing data out of our operational systems. The famous data lineage part. How those metrics are calculated which are exposed to my data product for certain outcomes that our user needs. If I need to expose that, I want my data analyst, data scientist to find that metric or a KPI and know its definition and know how it is calculated, know where the different data components came from. Imagine doing that without automation. That's where the technology starts to come in that you can start enforcing those agreed governance principles, ranging from exposing how you will set those objectives that this, this is what I will maintain. Uh, my data product will be refreshed every day at 9 a.m. or every one hour. It will have X level of granularity, for example. It will have uh, sales value in five currencies or one currency or no currency at all. Uh, it will have X, Y, Z dimensions. I'm, I'm just throwing things around, right? These are the things that each team is defining but they will tell their consumers that this is what I'm building and this is what I'm offering as a product. And then the computational part comes in. How will you measure it? If somebody will wake up at 9 a.m. or every hour, check the freshness, check the completeness, that's not gonna happen. You need those computational aspects associated with it. And that's where the computational governance comes in. And that's why it's not just that traditional governance that the word that I don't like at all. I, I, I'm i looking for a better word. If you guys have any idea or any listener or viewer has any idea, I'd love to hear that. Uh, I started calling governance bodies forums, for example. I don't know whether that will stick or not. But uh, you see, we need to agree what decisions will be decided within domain and for in inter-domain dependencies where they will go and agree on certain things. So a nice balance of full autonomy and where to go when you have to solve things together. That's all combined are some of the aspects that I would consider as part of that uh, federated computational governance. Yeah, I'm glad that you provided clarity there, on especially the computational part, because I agree. I think I've seen plenty of data mesh, you know, videos and folks and talking about federated governance and, and, and they and they skip the computational part. Right. And uh, I think that's important to think about how do we automate and create autonomy. Right. And, you know, there's a, a, a little bit of like an interesting topic point that I, I think has come up a few years ago, but is, is kind of it, it, it ebbs and flows in popularity around like governance as code and policy as code. Is that something that you think is an important part of this too, or is that just one example of an implementation? You can use that. We are doing some of it, but not all. Some of the things are implemented as code where it makes sense. So for, let's take the example of that catalog again. Why leave it as an optional step 
for the data product teams. Why can't that third principle guys entering technology topic about to happen, high alert. Uh, so that third pillar will enable certain capabilities. One of them could be as part of your data ops pipeline, maybe the last step is that automation piece that you enable by a code. You help every domain through those ag agreed characteristics that, hey, just fill that in, rest is taken care of. Don't worry about automating things into your catalogs or your data lineage. Worry about the things that only matters about your product, like describing it. No technology will describe it, how you have, what you have put in that field or column or table, at least not right now. It might come up with some ideas that, oh, it looks like it's email. Okay, email of who? Customers, employees? Maybe yeah, what's the context, right? Yeah, what's the context? That domain context, that in the DDD bounded context, oh my God, I'm using fancy words now, uh, is something which has to be defined. And uh, that's, that can be embedded in a code uh, as a final step. So you are not leaving things optional. Once somebody will push your pipeline into production, you know things have been enforced. Your platform might be able to identify your columns and identify PII data, things which needs to be encrypted or anonymized, et cetera, et cetera. That can be put in place. We have done, we have some examples where we are doing it. So that's where the technology starts enabling things and uh, make life easier, even in a very decentralized world, uh, that you don't have to reinvent the wheel in each domain and each team. You can still follow a lot of agreed processes and still have full freedom to do things. So, so, so I want to hit a couple more things because, I mean, time, look at this. Omar, I'm so excited that we're going to spend more time talking about this live in a couple of weeks. But um, two things I want to touch. One is the product thinking is kind of a very, very crucial aspect here. And, and you mentioned like there's things like FAIR, like we, 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 Tim and I have been working on this whole ABCDE framework and stuff. Um, I'd love to get your input, your input on this. Like, I mean, you've seen, we define ABC as accountability, boundaries, uh, contracts and expectations for your downstream consumers, explicit knowledge. FAIR is findable, accessible, interoperable, and, and reusable. Reusable. Um, so th these are, in a way, kind of principles that should be defined uh, it, from a central point of view and then should be kind of decentralized. You say your decentralized nodes in the mesh thing. You got to implement it. This you got to follow these things. What what is Omar's ABCs or fairs or or what would you extend? What are what are we missing from the stuff like that Tim and I have been talking about? What else? What else should we be doing? Or, or what should we be emphasizing more? Sir? So um, not going into very specific things because the thing comes, I, I can't recall all your ABCDEs. FAIR is something which is reminded to me 100 times a day. Uh, but in general, what I would love to encourage people is that not just tell people, hey, you need to make your data fair. Yeah, okay, nobody is going to disagree with you. How? <laughs> what, what, does it, what does it mean to make data fair, right? Uh, what does it mean to make data findable? Oh, you have to publish it in a catalog. Okay, great. How do I do that? Do I do it manually? 
no, no, you don't have to do it manually. Here is the automation. Here is the final step. Once you, once your uh, data product team is given access to your data ops environment, you will be able to do that. I think that how part is very important. How part is that platform team who's also managing their platform as a product. It's their product feature to enable it for their consumers and users to use. So I love that product thinking applied on the platform as well, where they are ensuring that the data product teams and the different uh, team members, and they are different personas like engineers and developers and UX developers and designers and product owners, product managers, architects, etc. They all have a different role to play. And most of them will be using your some capabilities of the platform. So that platform team is also using that product mindset. And it's not just about you have to make your data findable. That, that platform team is actually teaching on during the part of their onboarding slash lean inception, let's call it, let's use some product terms. During the lean inception, the team is guided how to do it. Uh, in the beginning of our journey, we had minimal automation in place. Let, I'll, I'm proud to say that because now there is a lot of automation that we have done, which is helping us to scale further and multi have a multiplier effect basically right now. And we are trying to go as much as possible with even more automation where it's not, it makes sense. Not everything needs to be uh, automated and uh, some control is then left for further innovation and improvement. This is, this is a great point. And, 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 and we've, so we've talked about the, 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 the three more, the social ones, I think the fourth technology. And actually, you know what? I don't want to talk about technology. There's so much technology stuff. This is not going to be a technology. There's one more thing I wanted to hit before we go to our lightning round. In past conversations, you were telling me about this, what you called your acceleration workshop. That you had like a, it was a four week process and you got the people together. They started at a high level. They got it deep, right? And please explain what this looked, because this was, this was eye-opening for me. I'd love everybody to listen, the acceleration workshop. Yeah. So I'm not an expert. I've learned this. So I'm going to just share my experience. I didn't came, came up with this. You, the idea of the acceleration is to bring all the stakeholders together and you narrow down from the whole world of white campus of not doing anything, what we are going to do, to bringing people on the same page, focusing for that particular domain, what are my objectives, the business objectives that we have to deliver? And how am I going to measure whether I have delivered those objectives or not? Uh, in other words, you are working with them in the context of your data mesh initiatives, defining your OKRs, that, right? That's built into that process. Uh, just like things, how will you achieve your OKRs, your key results? You have some hypothesis, some ideas that maybe idea one, two, three, four, these will work. And you don't know that. You don't know it yet, whether it will do or not. And then you will identify what kind of things you need to do and deliver those ideas, those tasks that you will do. Basically going one level below. And then you narrow down together with us as a cross-functional team, which are we going to focus on? 
one or two particular use cases. And if you have the right people in the room, those crazy bunch, which has the right domain knowledge, who knows what's keeping them up at night, what business problems they are trying to solve, they know what the problems are. They have amazing knowledge in this area. They are looking for guidance, in many cases, empowerment. Hey, let's do it together. And they know how to prioritize and what to prioritize because even on the fourth day of that workshop, people start to link things together that if we pick use case one and two, we will enable even use case three and four down the road because we will be sort of uh, unknowingly in that, that time might lay the foundation work of those data products that can be reused for more use cases, not just within the domain, but outside the domain as well. Right. That's that's the starting point. After that, you do your discovery, you pick up a use case, you identify in the context of the data who is going to uh, use the, do those tasks, basically. You're talking about end users, you're talking about those personas, you're talk, talking about what kind of insights they would need based on certain assumptions to deliver those tasks. Those insights, those activities, which they might see it as a dashboard, might see it as a report, might see as alert, might see as a, might, might not see anything, they just receive something via email, or it's embedded in some algorithm maybe somewhere, that will tell you the outcomes that are expected. And you can start walking back towards what kind of data set, data product will be required to deliver those outcomes. You don't know what fields are required. You don't know what tables are there. You don't have to go into that detail. That's the first cycle of understanding. And that's not happening in four days. You are going through a long process, especially in the beginning, since everything is new, you might, it might take four weeks. But once you get mature, you are doing this as an ongoing basis. You may agree on some kind of a discovery cadence, which might be triggered by a feedback of your users, might be triggered by some other events, might be triggered by change of people. All of those things will trigger that. But once you know the systems, once you know where the data might come from, you can definitely identify and link the pain points of either getting that data, the gaps in the systems, or gaps in the uh, metrics and the KPIs, or even complete gap that I don't have access to any of that data right now because we don't have an underlying system or we don't have we haven't purchased that data. That cycle goes on in terms of acquiring things, uh, shaping curate like the whole cycle of curating things, generating insights giving it quickly in the hands of those users. Hey, did this help? Did this work? Is this what you're looking for? It's like taking a vertical slice of your four-layer cake, for example. And now I'm very hungry by just thinking about that cake. Right? But that vertical slice in the, world, in the world of data is very important because if you deliver foundation layer in four weeks and then the next layer, then the next layer, it's too late. That's that's not going to fly in my view. You can try it. It doesn't work very easily. It takes some time to deliver that. But that is some kind of the cycle that we have now that we are trying to practice in various domains and have varied level of success and learning so far. 
Yeah, they, they, this we you call the vertical slice is what I call the a, an iron thread that you want to go do like from start to finish. Figure that out, and at some point, like you want to, you decide I'm going to make that thread stronger, so you're going to make it strong because you probably add another source or whatever. Then somewhere else, you're going to go create another thread, and then those threads start to mesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I, it's it's uh it's time to go to our lightning round, uh, which is uh, told you that we had no questions when we started. And I got the questions are here now. So we're lightning round presented by Data.World, the enterprise data catalog for the modern data stack. So I'm going to go first. Question one. Do you feel that it's important to approach all four pillars of data mesh simultaneously? Or is that boring? Yes. The no, it's yes, but you don't have to wait for a perfection in any of them you you it's, uh, it's uh, consider like a like a scale right uh, uh, the oldies can see it in their cars you know you had a volume button up and down or horizontal or we see a task bar like a volume bar you don't have to be perfect but you need to move it a little bit on all four uh, one will unfortunately will have limited success mm. So, so maybe to use some product parlance, all of them are acceptance criteria. All of them are requirements, but you can do minimum viable of each of them. Uh, yes, or you may just come up with, hey, let's just agree. We will need a name of a data product and the description what it's doing. All good. Let's define the next term next month. <laughs> why, why? Why waste more time? <laughs> I, I love it. Straight to the point. I love it. Um, so second question. Um, you talked about FAIR principles. You talked about, uh, you mentioned our data ABCs, the data product ABCs. Um, do you think that these principles are something that management should mandate? It should be company policy. So sticking true with the data mesh principles, the federated computational governance, that federation of the people that you are working with in the beginning, that crazy bunch, let them decide. Why, why impose anything on them? They are, they are selling their product. Uh, if they have agreed to take ownership, I'm pretty sure they will stick to a lot of principles, not just these four or five things. They will agree if they have the right-minded architecture there, they might even agree, like I insisted on having a proper data modeling architecture like Data Vault that we are using for the data sets which, where you can apply a Data Vault model, uh, not to boil the ocean, right? So why not let them decide? Uh... That was a good one. I like that. Mm -hmm. Third question. Do you believe companies should hire data product managers or just adopt the product mindset? Oh, it depends, right? Uh, do you have a crazy punch? You have that crazy person, that person who is trying to show, yes, I will make it work. Uh, is the team willing to learn? You can invest on some nice product thinking. Uh, I love the work from Silicon Valley Product Group. Big fan of what Marty Kagan and team have done with Empowered and with, uh, with Inspired and now with the book Loved, for example. Uh, you want to learn discovery, go and learn from Teresa. Oh, amazing stuff, right? Uh, you want to learn about OKRs. There's so much available. You can learn from uh, reading a book, Radical Focus or things like that. All of this content is available also in different blogs and shapes and formats. There is no limit to it. But that 
mindset is key. Whether you bring an external person to do it, uh, as, but that person needs to be taking that ownership or best do it in-house. It will set even further good examples, some positive waves of what is possible. Yeah, I, I love that answer. Uh, I've lately been telling folks like, if you need to hire people, hire people. If you if people have the potential, then let them wear the hat, right? Yeah. Um, love that. Um, so last, uh, last the lightning round question for you. If data mesh was never invented, you know, Jamak never did her, her seminal blog post here, would you have still implemented something like data mesh at Roche or was knowing it, naming it and recognizing it important? That's a great question. I, I don't think that would have such a structured thinking, but it would have been some of a mixed form of what we have learned from implementing data lakes, what we have learned from implementing data warehouses and what's the next evolution could look like. We might have come up with a mixed approach. We might have come up with some kind of a lake house as it's called sometimes. Uh, we might have come up with uh, something completely different. Um, yeah, it's quite possible that one of those combinations could have been taken, but uh, I would have definitely ins insisted on avoiding, let's not build yet another enterprise lake. Let's not build another enterprise data warehouse we have had limited success. So if you want to really go take the next step, let's think differently. Let's think again. Yeah. In, it's, I, I think we, at some point we are acknowledging data mesh aside that um, we are insane. Keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That is um, one of my favorite things. And also, I mean, we don't know history, right? So we're re reinventing the wheel a lot of the time too. So, all right, we're going off to our mesh minute, which is just going to, well, we've been asking a lot of people, you got one minute to rant, pontificate about data mesh. We have done it already for 53 minutes, but here's your one minute, like you go for anything. Freestyle. Freestyle, one minute. All right, so I highly encourage people to explore it if it fits your organization culture. Find that crazy bunch, take that bold step. Yes, you can do it. Don't, don't, uh, you know, don't stick with the norms and, and in the comfort zone, right? Go out and unleash the potential of the data. That's all it's all about. It's all about reusability. Uh, don't take mindset for granted. It's not. Not everybody is willing to do that. So find the right people. If the people willingness is there, which is important, help them, train them, and reap the benefits. It's all about business outcomes. Deliver those outcomes. So go for it. Thank you so much. That was that was. Uh, you have today given everybody who's listening a roadmap based on those pillars. So it's a very structured framework here to go through it. Very practical one and very important. We did not talk about technology and, 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 and we should do, we should be, I'd be interested, right? Can, can you do this on snowflake? Yes, you can. Can you do it with a virtualization? Yes, you can. Uh, but then we get into like the, I mean, honestly, I like, I'm not that even that interested in those conversations anymore. I think this is the, this is, this is the game changing part. Deciding which technology to go use, uh, I don't know. I, that personally for me, I think we. Th 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 this is the change, right? This is what's getting me out of insanity. 
<laughs> that's that's a uh, that's a topic for another one hour. It's it will play an important role. I don't want to de-emphasize this, but without what we discussed today, there is no point talking about technology. No point, none. It's not going right. to help you. So we will at, at Snowflake. We'll probably do an impromptu catalog <laughs> cocktail session with you, and we'll talk about technology and, and part two. Stuff. Part two. <laughs> All right. All right. So, T T T Tim, take us away with takeaways. Yeah. So uh, Omar, amazing conversation today. Um, I think uh, some key takeaways that I got, and then I'll pass it to to Juan, uh, is that uh, you know you came upon the idea of data mesh uh, at first a little skeptical, but as you learned more, you really uh, came to really like and appreciate that framework. And then I had the opportunity to really collaborate with Jamak. And those articles came out in you know 2019 and then 2020 was the second article. And the first journey was really, a step of the journey was really realizing that uh, you know doing the same thing over and over is the definition uh, and expecting different results is the definition of insanity, right? And the data, data mesh and in general, looking for a new way forward was the right step. Being open to exploring that idea and recognizing that there were problems and this can be a solution to those problems. So I think recognizing the problem is really key here. And I think a lot of folks um, are trying to get their organization to recognize the problem and, and, and be an evangelist for that. Uh, and when you talked about your definition for data mesh, um, you very importantly mentioned that it is a paradigm shift. It is social and technical. It is all four pillars of data mesh, right? Uh, and uh, that it, you shouldn't talk about it as architecture. And I couldn't agree more with that because I think that when you say architecture or you say uh, a solution or things like that, that really start to lean more towards that it's a technology solution. Um, people jump to technology, they assume, oh, I need to invest in, oh, I'll buy a catalog and it'll just solve it. Or I'll buy a virtualization solution, and it'll just solve it, right? And that is not the truth. Um, but I think towards the end of your lightning round there, or your data mesh minute, you made an important comment. It's not that you can only solve it with people in process. It's that these three things need to work together, technology, people in process, working together in concert. Um, and that is, that is so, so important. Um, and then you talked about domains and the importance of, of, of being domain driven. It's not necessarily about your org chart, right? But you can start from there, that's fine, right? Do what makes sense for you. Find the right leaders in your organization who want to take risks in those different domains and treat data as a product, right? Which is really important to me as, as head of product over at data.world. Um, I, I love uh, product management and I'm so glad that the best practices of product management are being applied elsewhere you said that sort of product ownership is the heart of data mesh, structuring around domains and building those domain products is the soul. Um, and that there's no fixed formula, but if you think about like, hey, what's the right thing for me in terms of the size of the team, in terms of decentralization and centralization, you can figure out the right thing. Um, so, so much good there. Juan, what about you? What were your takeaways? Yeah, so so I, I'm looking at the Federated Computational Governance. You said it's a way to go nuts in an organized manner. That was that was key. I love that, and and and, and you, we need to have agree on what the minimal things are about a data product. And even in your lightning round, you're saying like, I mean, just let those crazy bunch of folks come up with it, right? There's some examples like there's fair, right? There's our data product ABCs. Uh, it, what is missing here is like describe the how you go do that, right? It's like what is findable, put it in the catalog. Well, how, okay, how do I do that manually, automatically, or the tools? Like this is what you, this is what this is more of the information we need to have. The computational part, right? I mean, we need to understand how is that going to be enforced, right? You can't expect that 
things are going to go work in a catalog if it's all have to be manual. Uh, computationally is what's going to enable us to understand, trace how the data product is created, the data lineage. Uh, and this automation is where the technology comes into play. So technology definitely plays a very crucial role in here because we, it's going to be the basis of, of, of automating this stuff. And, and, and the computational part of the, federa of the federated governance is what is going to be an enabler of that. Um, and then, yeah, I think technology, we will need it, but it is not the first thing. It is an enabler in here. Uh, culture needs to be decentralized. If you're a centralized culture, data mesh is probably not going to work for you. Uh, and then this whole last part that we talked about, the acceleration workshop, like th th this is this is a goldmine of, 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 of very specifically what to go do, right? We talked about it. You can do it in four, four sessions, four weeks or whatever, but get your stakeholders together, get the people on the same page on that domain. What are their business objectives, right? Uh, how are they going to deliver them? How are they going to get measured for them? Like, OKRs for this stuff, right? And then just like you do OKRs for your business, like how are the, what ideas do you have to go achieve them? It's fine if you don't know those are gonna go work, but that's part of it. Let's go start describing them. Then we get into one level deeper, right? Every time you go deeper and deeper, right? Uh, then people are gonna realize, well, out of all those ideas, these are the most practical ones. Here are the use cases. By the way, these are the things that are keeping me up at night. And the folks in those domains, they actually know how, what and how to prioritize and realize, we should focus on use case two and four because that's going to enable then five, seven, eight, and ten, right? Um, then we realize who is going to go do what, right? Talk to those users, which is going to help us to figure out the requirements and figure out what the sources of data is. We don't need to get into the details of what are the tables and columns yet, but at that point, we're going this at, like, at this big vertical slice, or what I was calling that that iron thread. And again, this is a cycle that goes in through, right? Um, and find the pain points, right? There's going to be gaps in the entire process, right? I don't have access to the data or so forth. Go identify those things. Whew, that was a lot. How did we do? Awesome. We talked about minds. We talked, we did not talk about the body, where the heart and soul will live, but we did touch all of four of them. Fantastic. Loved it. Well, Omar, let me throw it back to you quickly. Three questions we're going to do this time. What's your advice about data and life? whatever you want, broad on purpose. Second, who should we invite next or what area or whatever? And third is, what are your resources that you work? What are you reading? What are the books? What are the conferences you're going to? What, is, what are the resources that, if you're going to share that with everybody who's listening? Okay, advice on life. Uh, try to be simple. It's not easy, but uh, it's simple to be happy and it's very difficult to be simple. I live with that principle. Um, about invite invitation, I would love to hear fellow practitioner. I'm not I, I or my team cannot be the only ones. So I want other. I would encourage people to come speak, uh, share their experience. It's a community effort. Uh, Data Mesh Learning Community is one of the best I've seen out there. Uh, Scott and team is doing an amazing job. I love the passion you're bringing in. Uh, what am I reading? Um, um, <laughs> I'm just about to finish uh, uh, the remaining chapters of Inspired, which have been pending for a long time. Uh, thanks to you, Juan, my Knowledge Graph book is here, so I'm going to read that afterwards. <laughs> That's on the list. Uh, and uh, I, I love uh, that, that COVID has made me read books once again, but I'm a big reader of a lot of blogs on Medium, for example. Uh, I uh, read a lot of articles being published uh, on things like towards data science.com. Uh, big fan of learning online with LinkedIn Learning, Coursera's data camps of this world. There is so much to do. There is no limit anymore. 
you know, it's like a, you can, there is borderless learning that anyone can do these days. It's amazing. So uh, it's, uh, it's up to you. Just Google it and you will find what you have to do. And there, is, there are resources. Thank you so much for this. And we'll, we'll, we'll get all the links and stuff that you're doing so we can share with everybody. Um, Omar, thank you so much. This was a phenomenal conversation. We've learned so much because you're just so practical and you're honest and no BS about this stuff. I truly appreciate it. Uh, looking forward uh, to meeting you in person a couple of weeks at Snowflake. And anybody who's listening, go to Snowflake, please find us. And just very quickly, next week, we actually have Brett Hurt, who is the CEO of Data.World. Uh, and and it, continuing our world, it's, even though he's a CEO of Data World, we're going to be talking a lot about data entrepreneurship. He released a new book about entrepreneurship and talk about the cultures of kind of what it means to be a, a, a B Corp, a public benefit corporation in the data space. So I think that'll be a fun conversation next week. And uh, with that, we want to always thank Data.World, the enterprise data catalog for the modern data stack for supporting us on Catalan Cocktails. We get to do this every Wednesday, have amazing guests, amazing conversations. And Omar, thanks to you. Cheers. 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 This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.